0: So, I wasn't here last week. Uh, If you weren't here last week, uh, you probably didn't miss me. But if you were here last week, you know I wasn't here. Uh, But last time we were together, uh, we've been moving through uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, We were in Ephesians chapter 4, and today we're going to be stepping into Ephesians chapter 5. But last time uh, we were together, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul introduces this this principle, uh, this uh, replacement of growth principle. Uh, He says that if we want to see true growth inside the Lord, if we want to see true growth and we as Christians want to become more Christ-like, then we have to do three different things. He said that we had to do three different things. He said, first we have to put off or rip out at the root the thing that we want to get rid of. First thing we have to do is get rid of the thing that we want to get rid of. And then he says, be renewed or focus on God. We need to start learning to focus on God and his word to let him become our source of strength. And then finally, he said, put on or pick up the identity of who you are becoming. So get rid of of the old Focus on God, allow him to become your strength, and then put on the new. That's kind of what we talked about last time we were together. So you see, when we remove something from our lives, it kind of creates a vacuum. Uh, Something else will inevitably fill that space. So we must choose what's going to fill that void ahead of time. We have to purposely choose, or something will find a spot there. Now, during the sermon, I used the smoking analogy, because I, at one point in life, quit smoking. And so many people, when they quit smoking, they find that they fill it with food, Uh, with gum, with toothpicks. I have a friend who actually filled it with uh, those fireballs. He was always sucking on those fireballs. You fill it inevitably with something. So you have to choose ahead of time. If you're going to remove something from your life, what's going to fill it on purpose? Choose something godly or something else will fill it and find it in that space. Also, last time we were together, we've been working on a memory verse the entire time we've been in Ephesians. So hopefully by now, you might have these two verses down. But I told you last time that since we've been working on it now for for eight nine weeks um, I'm starting to remove some of the words to see if uh, to test you if you're actually putting it to memory so if you're part of the normal congregation uh, this is a test everybody else this is a freebie for you guys but Ephesians chapter four uh, verses one and two can anybody tell me some of the missing words anybody I see John you're not supposed to be looking on your phone for the answers I see that all the way back <laughs> can anybody tell me any of the missing words I therefore the Prisoner. There we go. We got prisoner of the Lord. Lord. There we go. Uh, beseech you to walk worthy. walk worthy. There you go. There you go. Got some of the scouts uh, with uh, trail life. The motto is walk worthy. Uh, with the calling which you were called with all oh. lowliness. There we go. Gentleness. Gentleness. One last one. No. Uh, pa- patience is the newer version, but the one we're going for is two words. Sometimes it can feel like it. What's that? Long suffering, actually. Long suffering, which patience can feel like you're suffering for a really long time because you're trying to be patient. So long suffering is the uh, way the new King James says it. Then he finally says, (laughs) bearing with one another in love. So here as a congregation, let's say this one together. I'll put all the words up on the screen. Let's say this one together. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now today we're going to be moving to the second to last chapter in the book of Ephesians. Knowing the replacement principle that we learned last time will actually help us as we're moving forward in today as we're going into chapter 5. So today our chapter is called Follow Your Leader. Follow Your Leader. We'll be going through Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14. The entire point of today's sermon, if you even if you walked out 5 minutes from now, the entire point of the sermon today is that If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we should be acting like Christ. We, we should be following an example of Christ. And this sounds ridiculously simple, but somehow many who say they follow Christ really follow the world or other standards other than Christ. So today our uh, points are going to look like this. And uh, my hermeneutics professor would be very happy. This is the first time I think I've ever alliterated an entire sermon message. Um, and uh, he was a, a staunch Baptist man and he was like, everything's got to be a certain way. And I, I just didn't learn that one very well. So today he would be happy for once. Uh, it's, it's been like 15 years, so, you know, at least once in 15 years. Okay, our Christ uh, is our first point, our conduct, and then our careful determination. Those are the points we're going to be walking through today. Our, our Christ, uh, and then our conduct, and our careful determination. So let's hop right in, our Christ. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So today's going to be slightly different than normal. Normally, I use the New King James. That's, that's my main reference. It's the Bible that I have. I felt like it's a really good one. Today, most of the sermon material is actually going to come out of the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation is a slightly more modern translation, and it puts it at a lower, easier-to-understand level. Uh, And I feel like the way that this passage goes, just for the way I'm I'm doing this sermon, it's mostly going to be out of the New Living. So check it in your Bible as you're reading along, but a lot of the words for this particular sermon are actually going to be on the screen because of what I'm using today in the translation choice. Um, Everything Paul is going to be talking about today, we'll cover through 1-4. through 14, um, every word he says, every point, uh, the rest of the sermon, everything kind of hinges off the first two verses of this chapter. So everything that follows comes off of these two verses. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Imitate God therefore. So last sermon we walked through several therefores. And whenever we come up to a therefore in scripture, we're supposed to ask, what? What is it therefore? We're supposed to ask, what is it there for? And you see it, you always ask, because it's gonna it's gonna reference what has already come. He's referencing our ability to change from our former selves. Before we knew Christ, we acted a certain way. But now that we are in Christ, he expects us to become a new creation, to act a new way. And that's what he's referencing, is that we have this ability to do this, but we have this ability to change. In everything that we do, we have this ability to change in Christ. Now, what I find incredibly interesting in what he says is that we are to imitate God as little children or as his dear children. In all reality, he's saying that we need to imitate God just like little children imitate their parents. So as adults... Um, especially as parents, I can try, and you may be able to as well. We can try to hide a lot from the outside world we can We can pretend like we have it all together, like we have regular Bible devotions, like we are great Christians, model citizens, but it only takes five minutes with one of my kids to find out exactly what 's really going on inside my house. You talk to one of my kids they will eventually they will, they will just tell you how it is. I was reading an author not too long ago. He's a pastor, and he was invited into a home of one of the, uh, the families in his church, and they had always put on a really good act. It was, they were very pious. They were like, you know, we always tithe. We always do this. We live to a certain standard. And he goes over to the family for having a meal uh, with them just to kind of get to know the family better, and he's invited to pray over the meal, which is common in most households. So he prays, and the three-year-old daughter who was sitting at the table at the end turns to her mom and says, what did he just do? completely giving away the fact that the family was always trying to put on this perfect image. And it was very obvious to the pastor, within 10 seconds of being in their family, talking to their three-year-old daughter, what the family did and what they didn't do, and exactly where they stood. And unfortunately or fortunately, children really can kind of become a, uh, a rod that tells exactly what's happening in the home. It's the little children that Jesus says that we are to be like when he said these famous words that you might remember. He said, then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Children learn by imitating. That, that's what they do. They, they follow their parents. They look after and they just model after them. They act like those who are there around. They imitate you, and that's for better or for worse, whether you're a good a role model or not. Children constantly observe their role model, and we're supposed to constantly be observing Christ. In verse one, that's what he says, is follow the example of Jesus Christ. We are to act around like those who we are around most. We act like those who we are around most, and this is why choosing your friends is so vitally important. Who you choose will impact your life in ways you can't even imagine who you hang around with. Outside observers can tell you how much you've been around Jesus and how often you've been in his word by watching your actions and your words. I can watch you and I can see how much you rely on Jesus Christ or you rely on other sources. Just like I can tell what really goes on in your house by talking to your kids. This leads us to our second point, which is our conduct, our conduct. Paul has just finished telling us that we should imitate God, but, but what does not imitating God look like? Well, we live in America. I think we can all agree that at one point in time, our nation was kind of a God-fearing nation. Like, God was kind of centric to our nation at one point. But as a whole, I think our focus, I think we could agree that it's shifted and it's changed a bit over the years. Now, if you made a list of the top three sins that America commits, okay? So if you were saying, you know, what is your... What would be on your list? Anybody, like, you know, as America as a whole, what would you say that America is not doing so great in following and choosing not to follow God? What, what would you say one of the sins that's generalized in America? What's that? Abortion. Uh, abortion? Okay. Uh, anything else? Okay. So, uh, okay. Sexual promiscuity. Yep. Uh, outside of marriage. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, anything else? Yes, sir. Crime. Crime. crime okay. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely crime. Um, anything else? Anybody else? Drugs, okay. Um, if you want to look at these verses with me, uh, these verses say, Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Would you say that these are common problems that are found in our popular culture even today, if you're reading this list? This is a push in our entertainment that is even in our public schooling that it's okay to do anything you want with somebody that you're not married to. I know this because I I went through the public school. I'm a product of the public school. I know what I was taught. That was 20 years ago. This is a complete contradiction to what the Word of God is calling us to as Christians. It's polar opposite and people say that Following God is too restrictive. God, God, I'm too confined in a box to follow God. I I just, I can't have any fun. You've probably said it yourself, maybe even. All sin is fun for a moment. I think we can all agree on that. But then the consequences come. Growing up in a broken home, my mom and dad split when I was three years old, and my mom ended up remarrying to my stepfather. I know that being a single parent is no fun. I know that having to share custody is no fun. I know that having to pay child support is no fun, but sin was fun for a moment. Paul lists the word impurity as the second part of his three-part list here. And the word actually is the same used back in Leviticus 7.21, which says, and I'll read, it's a little bit of a longer verse. He says, Moreover, the person who touches anything unclean, such as human uncleanliness, and that's where that impurity comes from, is that word uncleanliness. An unclean animal or an abominable unclean thing who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, the person shall be cut off from his people. Now the word, like I said, translates from impurity to uncleanliness in the Old Testament. Generally the idea is it describes something that would actually remove you from the presence of God. The idea is that it's something, an action that would remove you from the presence of God. So you can kind of just say all types of sin as a general filler. Now, the last word on his list is greed. And unfortunately, we as Americans are known across the world for our greed, our insatiable need for more. I need a bigger house. I need more tools. I can, I can, I can attest I need more tools, okay? So I am always looking for something. And unfortunately, my tools are all red. They're Milwaukee. I don't know what color your tools are. Uh, but we all have an addiction that unfortunately, we're always looking for more. And and that's, it's unhealthy. We try to fill a cup that has a hole at the bottom. We try to fill it with more, and it always quickly empties out. No matter how fast we try to fill it, it's always ready for more. And in verse 3, in his first list, Paul centers around our actions and our intentions. But then he actually goes on, and he actually creates a second list here in verse 4. And he says that this subject is our word. So he goes from actions and intentions in verse 3. And in verse 4, he says these words. He says, obscene stories. Foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Here again, I talked about that replacement principle earlier, you know, take something out of your life, but replace it with something good. Paul references that here. He says, you know, take these out and let there be thankfulness to God instead of that. He said, I've seen stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you we're not supposed to be using our mouths if we are Christians who are supposed to be modeling Christ-like character our mouths are not supposed to be for idle talk, especially talk that puts other people down uh, or boasts in ourselves that we should be using our mouths as Paul is saying to glorify God alone, to say you know what, This this is his day and this is him As Christians, we are to imitate Christ. In fact, the word Christian means Christ-like ones. We find that from uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. We received the name Christians in a town called Antioch. And what was happening is those Christians were so obsessed with the name of Jesus, they were always talking about him. So the people around them were like, you guys are always talking about this guy. So they just started calling them Christians because that's how they were referenced. And what's interesting is... His name was on their lips so much that that's how they were associated. These early church members were so consumed with the name of Jesus Christ that that became their identity. Could the same be said of you? Paul follows these instructions with a warning, and you can look at verse 5. He says these words. He says, You can be sure that no immoral, no impure, or a greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So it's within this verse that he starts connecting all of the dots. So he's now he's going to start pulling it all together. This is where the rubber meets the road. And he says that the reason we should be acting in the ways that, that he's been describing should be obvious because the greed in our lives makes us idolaters. We start coveting the world and its things instead of God and his things. We end up worshiping the world instead of God. So if your natural reaction to this verse is anything like mine, and you look at this and you say, well... I, I might think about stuff or I might looking at stuff. I might looking at different things at houses. I, I do a lot of running and I like looking at houses when I'm going down. That's a nice house. I like that that has this. Your natural reaction might be, well, I look at stuff, but I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad at the stuff. I'm not the one that this verse is talking about. So I should be good. You know, I think Paul actually knew our immediate reaction when he hears these words. I think he must have said these, and this is, the way Paul had this all written down is he actually dictates this. So he, he's talking and somebody else is writing it down, and he probably heard the words out loud, and he probably had the same reaction, well, I'm not that bad, so I can't, I, I can't be the one that he's talking about. So he puts in the next verse, almost like he read our thoughts. He says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. When I read this, the warning isn't so much about the person that's trying to make the excuses down the road. It's not for people at work who are making these excuses because they don't know Jesus. This is for those who know Jesus. He's talking about Christ followers as his core content here. And he's saying, if you're a Christian and you're making these excuses, you're wrong. God wants you to come to a different standard. He's calling you to a new standard. So don't fool yourself. The warning is those who know Jesus and make excuses so they can look more like the world around them, so they can be more comfortable. Being separate is kind of fun. I like being unique, but sometimes being unique makes us feel uncomfortable, when uniqueness makes us choose a different lifestyle. Uniqueness sounds great in theory. We all want to be unique. God made us unique individually. But when we go against the grain, when everybody else is out blowing their paycheck on having a good time and you've decided to do something else, Uniqueness can feel a little bit awkward at first. You have to say no thanks, and it becomes uncomfortable when your friends offer to do something, and you're like, no, I've chosen a different way, and you've become unique. Now, this one might be getting a little bit close to the chest, but if you can only have a good time when a particular substance is involved, you might want to relook at your definition of what a good time is. Don't be fooled by those around you who try to excuse sins. Ultimately, don't be fooled by you is what he's saying. We can fool ourselves more than anyone else because we lie to ourselves and we believe it. He continues on by saying these words. He says, don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord. So now as you have light of the Lord, uh, so live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And that's Paul's own words. He says, don't participate. The first step in learning a new lifestyle is to walk away and learning how to stay no and to close the doors of temptation before they're even cracked open. He says, don't go where you know you're going to be tempted. Why should we do this? Well, what is the reason that would be causing all of this discomfort? Paul says it very clearly. You were once full of darkness, but now you have the light from the world. You're no longer that person, so stop acting like that person. He's saying you've accepted Christ, you've claimed Christ as your Savior, so start acting like you're following him. Stop acting of your former ways is what he's saying. Now, we're not going to get to it today, but later in this chapter, Paul is going to go and use the idea of a marriage uh, and the relationship to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's going to use the marriage example later on. Um, when we're married, guess what? We're no longer single. Who knew? Once you're married, you're, you're no longer single. What happens when a married person starts acting like a single person? Trouble. That's the one word that encapsulates everything. Trouble. It only leads to one thing. And Paul says, now that we are in Christ, we need to stop acting like we are out of Christ. It makes no sense for us to do that. But you have to make a choice. And you have to consider your options very carefully. Which leads us to our final point as we're moving along here, uh, our careful determination. So at this point, Paul has called us to stop imitating the world and to start imitating Christ. He's given us examples and he showed us what those examples lead to. He says this is that eventual path. He's also told us that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be deceived, as we can be the ones to deceive ourselves the most. But we are to be led to thinking that certain things are still acceptable to Christians. That's, that's a deception that we give ourselves. Now, with these facts on the table, he starts his closing his case. In verses 10 and 11, he says these words. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So he says, consider the consequences of your actions. Consider them very carefully. As we walk through the world and we take no consideration of the future, it's a very dangerous life to live. Those who walk wisely consider the future and its effects. So if you lease a car that you can't afford, you're not going to have that car very long. If you cheat on your spouse, you're not going to have your spouse for very long. We each become embarrassed by our sin. We don't want it exposed because of the revelation of that sin might ruin our lives. It might do something that we don't want. It'll make us uncomfortable. It's like mold hidden in a wall. So when I was in Ohio uh, in an apprenticeship years ago, 2009, uh, the camp that I was working at had a duplex for the uh, staff. And in the duplex, uh, one of the couples started noticing the smell of sewage. It just started growing day by day and it was we we looked we couldn't find it and we finally figured it out and the duplex uh in the wall that actually uh the two apartments side by side the wall that joined them there was a pipe for the sewage that went up straight up to the toilets upstairs and as the foundation had shifted the plastic pipe snapped and all the sewage was now going down into the stud and not just in the wall the floors were linoleum And so what had happened is that it actually seeped underneath the floor in the kitchen in both direction. And literally the families that were living there, we're not sure exactly how long they had been living, but they had been living in, walking on, and smelling sewage, raw sewage. And when we finally pulled back everything, I mean, the whole thing was gutted. I mean, it was was a horrible job. I should have bought pictures. Um, I I, I, I do, I've I've got pictures. Everything, it's black mold. It was horrible. It had crept everywhere. And the only way to get rid of mold is to expose it to light. You have to give it light because in the darkness, it grows. And that's what he's saying here, um, that when we keep our sin closed up, it continues to grow, but we have to expose it to the light to stop it. And it was a horrible job. Nobody wanted to pull that. We wore masks and everything else. It was a huge amount of work. But that's the way sin is in our lives. It gets attached and we have to pull it out. And reading verses 12 and 13, Paul says that he doesn't even want to talk about the deeds, the disgusting and dirty deeds of evil that darkness hides. But they have to be exposed to have gotten them rid of. Now he says it's shameful to even talk about these things that the ungodly do in secret, much like trying to expose that mold. Nobody wants to actually expose it, but that's the only way you can get rid of it but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. Light has to be allowed to shine to expose on these things that we try to hide. We try to convince ourselves that these aren't really sin when they really are. The light of the Word uh, of God is the honest truth, and it brings that light into our lives. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we have to be called to a standard. We have to allow ourselves to be called up. If we're not willing to work at coming up to the standards that Christ is calling us to, can we even call ourselves Christians? Paul closes his section and our time with this message with these words. I'm gonna put these up on the screen. He says, "'Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, "'and Christ will give you light.'" What he saying is, "'Wake up, dear Christians.'" rise up from the dead walk away from the old life that once held you captive if you truly are a christ follower who is trapped in your old sin you're like a prisoner who's been told that they are set free and the door has been opened but has chosen to remain inside the cell because that is where they are comfortable you have been given freedom as a christian it's time to step into it is what he is saying today we've worked through the first half of ephesians 5 we looked at who we are to be imitating that we are supposed to be like little kids watching our Savior and growing in his likeness, to be around him regularly. Because in all reality, you imitate who you are around a lot. And you can't imitate God if you're not around his word a lot because you're not actually around him and his thoughts and his ideas. We've been warned that certain habits are unbecoming of a Christian, and Paul even listed them for us plainly, and that we're being called up to get rid of the past to actually rip out the old life step into the new life and allow christ to become our source of life so i've got two closing questions for the sermon today what have you been trying to make excuses for we each do it to some degree we feel that god is prodding and it's time to let go and it's time to make a change but you know what i'm really comfortable where i'm at so i'm going to do that tomorrow much like the diet that we're always pushing off till tomorrow, like uh, July 4th is coming up in a couple of months, so I'll just wait till afterwards. We always say the exact same thing with certain sins in our lives because it's too comfortable right now. But tomorrow will always remain tomorrow and we'll always find another reason to put it off, what we know really needs to be done today. And my final question is this, he says, who are you imitating? If you have young ones at your house, I have three boys at my house, your actions and your words are going to be reflected in them. If you don't have young ones at home, if someone was to view your private life and to come in and just kind of be a fly on the wall, would they say you're a follower of Jesus? There's an old children's song that you may be uh, familiar with. It says, be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little hands what you do. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little tongue what you say. Be careful, little thoughts, what you think, and be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's a fun little children's song that you may be familiar with that reminds us what we focus on will consume us. So you have to be very careful on what you focus on. So, Christian, my question is what have you been focusing on lately? Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you're not condemning us, but Lord, you're actually encouraging us to step up to something that we have potential for through you. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to point out uh, the places that we need to grow. And Lord, I ask that you give us each the grace uh, and the humility to be able to step in and acknowledge when we come up short. Father, help us to grow in your love. Help us to love other Christians the same way that you have loved us first. Lord, I thank you so much for the good things that you do in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word. Help it to be a testimony to us. Help us to remember and to keep in mind what we're choosing to focus on. Help us to step out of the old life and into you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known, by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.